and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Really excited to have you with us for another great episode today. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad to have you. Excited that you're listening. If you've been here in the past, we appreciate you sharing these conversations, continuing to listen. It really warms my heart when I hear people say that they love these conversations and it's not just my mom or my dad. And I've run into people all the time that say, I love this episode or I love that episode. So if you happen to be inspired to really appreciate today's conversation, we would appreciate if you shared it. Share it with a friend via text or email, share it on social media. And go ahead and and go over to iTunes and write us a review. It really does help us continue to get the word out and share these people's stories, share how their mindsets are impacting their performance and how they're intentionally living their lives. If you are not familiar with the podcast, I work as a mental performance coach and an executive coach where I get to work with teams and organizations. I get to work with athletes and sports coaches. I get to work with executives all about how they show up and how they can show up to be their best. So a lot of my work involves questions and mental frameworks and models and tools and techniques. And I love what I do for a living. And so I fired up this podcast to learn, to grow, and to share. And so today's guest is somebody who I've learned a ton from in a short amount of time. I'm really excited to share him with you. Jamie and Christian is the head coach, the head men's basketball coach at George Washington University. And he comes from, he coached last year at Siena. And the year before that, he was at Mount St. Mary's. And at the age of 29, he was a head men's basketball coach, Division I head, head men's basketball coach. So from an early age, Jamie was looked at as somebody who could lead men. And this also was the case when he played basketball at Mount St. Mary's. He was a three-year captain, so he'll talk about what it was like to be a captain as a sophomore. And he is somebody who's always been curious about learning and growing. And he'll talk about a growth mindset and how valuable that's been throughout his life. So he is a lifelong learner, and along the way, when you are a lifelong learner, you acquire knowledge. And so today he's going to share a lot of the knowledge that he has learned in figuring out what makes a great team, what makes people perform at their best, and how he can lead those people to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve in this world. So Jamie is a thoughtful, thoughtful guy. He is intentional with his words. He's intentional with the culture that he's creating at GW. And he's intentional with the type of people that he wants to surround himself with. So we'll talk about connectedness, love, competitiveness, and what it takes to be a great basketball team. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Jamie and Christian. Jamie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Excited to have you and chat with you. We've had many conversations about mindset, culture, what it takes to build a championship team. And so I'm excited to share you with my audience. And it's just been great getting to know you and learning from you. And uh, you, I think right before I fired up the mics, I said to you, I think you are probably one of the more progressive coaches when it comes to thinking about the psychology of basketball and thinking about how to build a successful team. So I think this is going to be a, a treat for our listeners. And I'm, I'm just grateful to have you here in Bethesda, Maryland to chat. Um, where I'd love to start with you is 
when did you first get introduced to really the, the psychology of basketball and when did that come into your thinking and your forefront? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate. Uh, my mother, um, she's a special education teacher for 30-plus years, um, and so she just has an unbelievable level of patience and learning and teaching. And, and, you know, I'm fortunate to grow up in an environment where that was such a priority. My father um, was a track and field coach, football coach in high school as well. He's on going near, nearly on 40 years now. And uh, he was also an All-American track and field guy, traveled with the Olympic traveling team back in the late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, I think, you know, when I remember the first time my dad kind of introduced me to just mindset, um, you know, I was probably, I think I was nine or 10 years old and, and I was learning how to pitch for the first time playing little league. And my, my dad, you know, took me out there and, and he could tell when I would get a little rattled and, you know, he really talked to me really about mindful breathing at that time. And I was probably only nine or 10. Um, and just about, you know, when you're on the mound, settling your mind, thinking of a calm place, taking deep breaths. And, you know, it really kind of helped me as an athlete to really kind of grow into the athlete I was able to become. He was also going to work with us a ton on meditation, um, and we would spend time meditating. Um, he taught us karate and different stuff like that and, and, you know, really a great environment. And so I think when, you know, you have a learning environment like that with your mom, you know, having that kind of diligence and that kind of patience, your dad being able to teach you those kind of things, and him being a, a world-class athlete himself, I got off to a great jump. I got off to a great start, and I didn't even realize it. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of go through it, and, you know, like my dad, who is, you know, again, he's an All-American, but when he came to Virginia State in the, in the early, in the late 70s, he was the last guy on the team, and he really kind of worked his way into becoming one of the best in the country. And, you know, with that, you know, he always gives you that kind of mindset and just like, you know, if you work for something, if you have a passion for it, you can you have an opportunity to achieve it. And so my father and my mother really introduced me to that when I was really young and I didn't even know what was really happening. And, you know, I think, you know, as you're kind of growing up, when you look back on your environment and the importance of that, if you have a level of self-reflection, your leadership style and your leadership ability should be a reflection of the best things you learned in your environment growing up. And, you know, again, I was really fortunate to kind of be introduced to that at such a young age. Do you have siblings? I do. I do. I have one brother. He's actually the head coach of the Washington, Washington Go-Go right now, uh, Jarrell Christian. Um, again, and he's four years younger than I am. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got a great foundation. And, and uh, you know, I had a chance to have to teach him just about every skill so he could compete in the neighborhood games. Uh, you know, he was always the number six or number eight within the neighborhood. So when he was three or four, you know, he had to be out there playing football. He had to be out there playing basketball. And if I wanted to win, I had to teach him how to do all those skills because he was always going to be on my team. I was one of the oldest. He was one of the youngest. So, again, you know, just the foundation the environment I was able to have and be able to learn and, and teach, um, really special. And you talked about Dad, you know, having a ball in your hand and teaching you breathing and Dad being a, a track and field guy. What led you and your brother go down the path of basketball and focus on it on basketball? You know, for me... I just loved, I always just loved the game. I loved getting out there. I wasn't the best. You know, I was in high school when I was a freshman. I wasn't the best on the team. When I was a sophomore and junior, I wasn't the best on the team. And, you know, I just always loved getting out there and working on my game. And, you know, it, you know, in Virginia, you know, we didn't have cable TV until I was 11 or 12. I'm Where in Virginia were you? Uh, New Kent, Virginia. And uh, it's right there on the on the Chickahominy River and in between Richmond and Williamsburg. And people pass through it and rarely do people stay. And, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's an amazing place to raise a family. And, you know, in the summertime, you know, there's not a lot to do. You know, you, you know, I'm a mile, you know, you could be a mile away from the gym. You know, you could walk there. I was fortunate enough to have a back, have a, back, a basketball court in my backyard, and it was a dirt court. It originally started out as a grass court, and then eventually it turned into a dirt court. And you know, I would just spend my time out there. You know, Virginia summers are hot, so you got to get up early. You know, you can go, you can go eight to, you know, my place you can go eight to about twelve on the floor on the on the court, and then uh, the sun's right over top at at, at at midday. So between twelve and four. You know, you got to be off there because it's just too hot to be out there, almost unbearable. And then you can come back back out at four as the sun moves behind the trees and gives you an opportunity. So you can easily work eight to twelve. You know, take off twelve to four, and then jump back out there from four to about seven before dinner. Um, and so, you know, that's just you know that's where you live in the summertime every single day, just trying to get out there and enjoy the game. And 
you know, sometimes my brother would be out there with me and sometimes I'd be out there playing against imaginary people and, and, uh, you know, just living the dream like many kids do. And your brother, you mentioned is coaching in the G league right down the street from where you are. What are conversations like between the two of you when you get together? Oh, they're the best. They're so much better now that he's gotten older um, because he's just got such a great um, skill set and he's got such a great understanding of players. And, you know, it, it, it's always amazing to me to watch because I think he has an un- unbelievable ability to get the most out of the out of his players without without being demonstrative and just building a strong relationship with them. I always feel like when I watch his teams play, they know he cares about their well-being, so they respect him on that level. And that's been pretty neat to watch and watch his progression. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, his first job out of college, he was a he was a Division two coach, volunteer coach, and then earned a spot at Emory and Henry and then kind of has worked his way up. And within six or seven years, he's in the G League with the Thunder, getting an opportunity there, working for guys like Sam Presti and Mark Dagonov and, you know, guys that just really value hardworking people that, that are really diligent. And so watching his progression and – you know, I love going on vacation with them because for, you know, for that week, you know, our boys can play together and our wives can hang out together. And, and then him and I can kind of talk hoops and he can tell me some things that I don't know. And, and I can tell him some things that, that I'm learning. And it's just this, it's just this amazing, like, conversation that doesn't really end. And um, he watches my games. I watch his games. And, you know, we're just rooting for each other and just trying to give each other the best advice we can. Um, you know, when, when you come from, you know, New Kent and come from a small place like that, I always tell them, like, you know, we shouldn't be here. Yeah, that's the reality of it. We shouldn't be here. And we've earned our right to be here. And now we got to do everything we can to make sure that we're making our product better, making every day, every day better. And, and uh, you know, if you're living the dream every day, let's go and compete within it. How much of your success up until now do you think is a product of your upbringing, your community growing up, your DNA? What do you think has led? I mean, it's pretty rare that you would see two brothers that one's a division one basketball coach, the other's in the G league and the G league is just growing and changing and evolving. It's such a fascinating place to be, but I'm just curious of what you think has led to both of you getting to where you're at. And by the way, you're both not that old either. You're, you're both relatively young guys in the coaching world. Uh, I would say a large part of it. I mean, I would say that, that neither of us are, are successful yet. I think the yet's really important because the yet presents an opportunity for the future of, of you know, even more amazing things to go to. I think a lot of times people kind of check something off the box and, and they say, I, I just think we're not there yet and we've got so much more to give the game. The game's given us so much. We can continue to give that, continue to give the young people, help them learn what they can do better. Um, you know, I would say a large part of it comes from our environment. Uh, just having a self-awareness of it, you know, looking around every day and really being inspired. You know, you, you got, when you got three or four TV channels, you know, you got to get creative. And so you might see, you know, one Michael Jordan game a, a week. So you got to record it. You got to watch it. You got to learn from it. And I think that's really helped us really understand film, film study, you know, like that. I mean, you have one or two games on a week. You've got to go back and study it over and over again. And a lot of these positions within, within basketball, you move up because your ability to, to teach and understand. Well, our teaching really started between ourselves, us trying to learn how to get the pivots down the right way, how to, you know, how to make the pass the right way, how to build it up. And, you know, we had to do all that stuff ourselves. And, we you know, we didn't have, like, like this area has great teachers at the youth level. We didn't have that. You know, we had great dads who were loving and supportive and caring, but, you know, they might not have been able to teach you all those different things. And, you know, so our environment created that. If you, if you wanted to be good on, on Saturday when you had opportunity to go play against older guys, you had to keep getting better and mom and dad are working. They're doing their part and they're loving and caring for you. But you know, we had each other and we had to learn how to do that. And it's obviously benefited us a great deal. When you're 18 years old, he's 14 years old, give or take. What are both of your dreams as far as where each of you are going? You know, I think he's kind of, he defined his a little bit later than I did. Um, you know, I've always had a pretty good focus and I always knew I really wanted to work in sport. Um, you know, I was a two sport guy in high school, um, All-State baseball, All-State basketball, Virginia State player of the year in basketball. So I always knew sport was a real was a real avenue for myself. I went to Mount St. Mary's on a full ride. And, you know, I think like all of us, we wanted to be professionals. But I was just always captivated by trying to learn how to be better at it. And I think, you know, when I look back on my college days, uh, you know, I was so much more into the practice and the learning of it than the rest of my teammates. My teammates wanted to get to the games. 
I was excited every day for practice and I learned to get better. And I think that's a big part of being a coach is like loving every day of practice. And, you know, I wish I would appreciate the games more because you don't get as many of those opportunities. But I did love practice every day. You know, I played for a great, great head coach in Jim Phelan and then Milan Brown and, you know, and my high school coaches in the, in the Virginia State Hall of Fame as well. So I've played for these guys who were unbelievably successful by the world's eyes. Um, by their wins and losses, but really the impact they had on us every day was just, you know, it's just immense, you know, having a chance to go into the office and have a conversation with someone who's maybe won 800 games, maybe won 700 games, was one of the, one of the best young coaches in the game in Milan, and just have them be able to give you information about your life that you can't see yet. And then if you have the right level of reflection, you're able to look back and say, man, they gave us a ton. They gave us everything they had every single day. And so just trying to be that kind of person for our team, I think is really valuable. When you're at Mount St. Mary's and you're the kid coming in as a freshman and you love practice and you love getting better and all these things, uh, I've been around college teams, I've been around high school teams, I've been around those age groups. That's not always welcomed um, depending, on, depending on the team and the dynamics of the team. And so I'm curious for you, what was it like for you being someone who really loved practice when perhaps a lot of your teammates were there because they really loved the games? Um, it, it, you know, it, you know, I kind of have the personality where I kind of take it in where it is. I mean, you know, my mom and dad are just the type of people where they always said, like, if you're going to do something, do it to your best of your ability. You know, and so, like, if you made your bet up and it wasn't right, you know, I'd be like, well, is that the best you can do? You know, <laughs> they weren't really overly critical with you, but they would say, like, you know, I think you can do a little bit better than that. And and so I just kind of always had that mindset, you know, when I even when I came to practice, it was like, hey, you know, I just want to do a little bit better than the next day. You know, and my teammates, you know, when they didn't have that kind of mindset, my goal was to try to inspire them to be able to do that. And, you know, I was a three-time captain at the mountains as a sophomore. I started becoming a captain. So that's an amazing honor, you know, when you play for a guy like, like Coach Phelan and just trying to lead by example. I think the first level of leadership is leadership by example. And just trying to be like that way every single day, you know. I had great mentorship there, um, you know, with guys that kind of helped me learn. And a guy named Matt Meekin, who's a principal in uh, Pennsylvania. A guy named Reggie Morris, who's now a great high school co- well, was a great high school coach and now is a college coach in the West Coast. And uh, Kurt Sani, who, who lives around here, and uh, Don Anderson. I mean, we just had some great, 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 great coaches there. Our record didn't show it, <laughs> but the time they spent with me personally just kept me in the line of what we needed to do. And, and you know, we're, I was really pleased because we were able to turn the corner there. First two years weren't very good. Last two years there with a younger group of guys and we were a little bit older, we were able to kind of, you know, lay the, lay the foundation for what became a championship team a few years later after that. And, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, you know, sometimes the reality of the situation is a victory is in stemming the tide and, and just being able to keep your ship afloat, you know, through really rough waters. And, uh, you know, we are able to do that through that time. What makes a great leader? I think um, I think love. I think it comes down to love. Um, I always say love is accountability, and accountability is love. You know, if you really love the people you're working with, if you really love um, what you're getting a chance to do, you're going to want to do it at you at the highest level, and you're going to recognize that you can't do that by yourself. Um, and if you have the ability to influence and impact others around you, man, you're going to have a lot of fun. And I think, you know, that's how I always kind of define it. I think love is essential. Uh, I would say, secondly, awareness. Awareness of where you are. Um, awareness of what your strengths and weaknesses are. Awareness of what the strengths and weaknesses of your group are. And and if you don't know something, having an unbelievable determination to figure it out and learn, not not just for yourself, but for your group. And I think as, you know, as a guy in this business, I'm looking up at some greats that have done this, you know, better than, than I have to this point. That's why I look at it. I'm like, you know, when I get that opportunity to be at the very best, I want to be ready and I want to be prepared. And so recognizing the things that you don't know um, may not be holding you back today, but they may hold you back later. How do you build love and awareness amongst a team? Well, it's about environment. You know, I go back to my to my environment. It's, everything's about trying to create that environment. And one of the first things we did here at GW you know, we brought in a meditation specialist because I want them to be aware of their feelings and I don't want them to be afraid of their feelings. I want them to be able to digest those. Um, you know, helping people understand their strengths and weaknesses and, you know, how important it is to be caring and understanding, but also be tough in the areas where you need to be tough at. Um, I think that becomes really important. And so everything we're trying to do is literally about environment. It's just about creating the environment. 
Um, you know, it's amaz- amazing to me. You know, I talk to head coaches, they take over their job for the first time. And, you know, you always see, like, now all of a sudden all these new things are happening within their locker room, which is amazing. We all we, we need that, so people need to see the physical change of things because on one level, on a simple level, that allows them to be more accepting to change and see progress. But if you can find the one or two things that really change their lifestyle every day, that helps their environment become better. And that could be the temperature of the water in the water fountain. That could be the way the towels are laid in the, in the locker room. It could be very, very small things. But trying to find the smallest detail that makes the biggest dividend for their life and then helping them be aware of how that's changing their life for the better. So cool. I want to riff on emotion a little bit because I think for a number of years we've all heard coaches and analysts talk about, you know, give me the guy that doesn't have emotion. He's just even. Like, just give me the even keel guy. And I think men in particular, uh, our relationship with emotion has been complicated through the history of mankind. Complicated is the word I'm going to stick with there. And you look at emotion, and we got these primary emotions, sadness, anger, fear, happiness. And, and oftentimes emotion is a loaded deck because a lot of emotion is, quote, unquote, not useful. But you said something about, essentially, we want our guys to be aware of their emotions uh, and not run from them. So I'm curious, as a coach, how do you continue to develop that where they're aware of their emotions, but they're not letting their emotions hijack them at a moment that might seem dangerous, where fear might come into play or anger or sadness? Um, how do you navigate that that land, those landmines? Well, we talk about three brains. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've heard this analogy before. You have your mental brain, your emotional brain, and your physical brain. Um, coaches are great at coaching the physical brain. I mean, you know, we've got more drills. We've got more tactics. We, all coaches can really coach the physical brain at the highest level. The mental brain and the emotional brain are the brains that we tend to uh, not teach as well, partly because we don't know them as well. And I think there's a lot of misnomers out there about you know, what mental toughness is and what emotional toughness is. And, you know, what we've tried to do is try to just do the research, talk to guys like yourself, talk to different folks and try to figure out, well, what does the research say? And, you know, and I think one of the things that goes into emotion, uh, a big thing is, is your environment growing up goes into your, you know, what, what have you witnessed as acceptable emotion versus not acceptable emotion? And so, and when we're, when we're recruiting, we're trying to really evaluate all those different details. So when we talk about the three different brains, we talk about having, you know, a good balance to those things. And I think that's really important for people to understand is, you know, as much time as you're spending on your physical brain, you have to spend that kind of time on your mental and emotional brain. And with your emotional brain, it's tricky because, you know, for a short amount of time, you can be upset and be mad and then go in attack mode and maybe have a great performance. But that's not to say that you can you can operate that way. That's like that's like being performing on Nas, you know, like from Fast and the Furious. Like, you know, you're emotionally upset, so then you go and attack and you have a great day. But the problem is, it's going to be hard to get to that point again. Uh, the other the other problem with being, you know, let's say we're running on high with our emotions. The other part with that is is that's the opposite of what you want to do when you're playing against the very best. Um, in college basketball, you're judged by how you play in March um, against the very best in the biggest stages when the moments are the biggest. So if your emotions are running on high the entire time and a, and a moment breaks, um, you have to be able to recover from it. If you're operating on a, from a peak emotionally, your descent is way too far to respond in the course of a, of a tough performance. Uh, maybe through the course of the year, you're able to do that. But what we're trying to teach them is just how to have that emotional balance and to be aware of it. Take it in. Take a deep breath. Let's move on from it. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's turn it into a great energy. We use different words to do that. We use keywords. We do different things. You know, everything kind of works differently. But I think trying to have a good individual plan for each player to help their emotional understanding, because then that then affects everything that goes on with them. If you don't have the right balance in those three brains, it affects everything that's going to operate there. So just trying to have an awareness of it. We spend a ton of time talking about it. Um, try to bring in people like yourself to spend time talking with them. I think when you create an environment where they feel free and they understand, all these guys want to be at the very best. They're going to do whatever they can to be at their very best. But are we creating an environment where they have the willingness willingness to be open about the things that they're struggling with? Uh, can they be open with things that they're hurt that they're hurting with that are going to hold them back? Um, I often think every player has one thing that's holding them back from being the very best. 
we have to define what that is. That could be a divorce in his background. That could be a loss of his father. It could be a loss of his grandmother. It could be a lot of different things, right? It could be the love he never got from his fam- from his whatever that is. I think if I want to get the very most out of those, out of our players, I've got to help them define what that is and continue to move on from it. And then that's going to allow us to have that emotional trust and that emotional restraint that's going to allow them to be at their very best. And so we talk about those three brains, the mental brain are different things that we're doing with just trying to help them understand what mental toughness is and how we continue to grow it. But, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about it. We make it a huge part of our environment because I think environment's so important. So many thoughts. Uh, one being that emotions have a shelf life. Uh, thoughts have a shelf life too. So that, but I learned that that was a game changer for me because nobody's sad all the time. No one's happy all the time. No one's angry all the time. They have a shelf life. And once you realize there's a shelf life on it, if you notice it, and become aware of it, then it will dissipate. It's when you don't and you let it run you that you run into all kinds of challenges. Um, so that that's a game changer. The other thing I've learned, I've worked with so many men over the years, and you hit on this a little bit, which is a lot of men, you know, we're, we're taught this thing of masculinity, of what it is and what it looks like and what it's supposed to be. And a lot of times we sweep things under the rug and we have a couch next to where you're sitting right now. And I will tell you, I've had so many men cry on my couch. And it's not because I'm having them lay down and tell me about their deepest, darkest thing. And I'm not trying to elicit that. But the truth is, sadness is an emotion that humans feel. And I don't care if you're the baddest, toughest dude on the planet. Like you've got some sadness in your, in your past and in your life, if you've lived. <laughs> and so sadness is part of the game. And, and to be aware of that is, is important. And then the last thing I'll say is around anger, because um, I have seen basketball players and I've heard from coaches that believe that they are at their best when they're angry. And angry and energy are kind of like half brothers. So anger can give you that burst of energy. But what I've come to understand is that the problem with anger is that your decision-making goes down. In a sport like basketball where there's all of those types of quick decisions to be in that space of red um, you know, and, and to be angry, your decision-making goes down. And that's where you see charges occur. That's where you see turnovers occur and all kinds of things. But the emotion game, I think, is probably the least talked about of the mental and physical. You talked about mental, physical, emotional. Uh, I think there's still so much room to grow. It's one of the things that I keep trying to learn more about because my world was a lot about focusing on the mental side, the cognitive side, and really working the mind. And the body leaves clues and the body talks and the body, uh, that's where trauma lives. Uh, The body is how we feel a lot of times impacts our behavior drastically. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges... Um, that I think we're going to face moving forward just in coaching and something we're trying to be really exceptional with. Um, I want our guys to be motivated by being at their very best and loving the guy beside them. And I think in the past, um, you know, with learning and kind of going through it, a lot of people motivate through fear, through anger. And like you said, those things have a shelf life. And I always feel like when we get to the month of March, we always end up playing a team that's motivated by those things. You know, we're underrated. We're the underdog. And, you know, those things. And they're great. And they've worked through time but I think there's been more champions won by teams that love each other and that want to play for each other that want to compete and so that's always a challenge you take over a new program it's like really easy to be like hey you know we're gonna go ahead and win and be result driven um we've never done that it's you can kind of practice we never talk about winning ever we just talk about competing I think um I think a true competitor gives himself an opportunity to learn whether they win or where they lose they have a chance to grow in either outcome and we're able to reset ourselves and come into practice the next day. I think when you're so caught up in winning, I think when you're so caught up in winning, what ends up happening is um, when you win, you're on a mountain, you're on a high mountain, right? And then that sets you up for a pitfall to be learn, to learn how to be humbled, right? And so we say, like, let's be humble. Let's not need to be humbled, right? And then when you lose, you're so far down, you have so, so much farther to go. I think when it's just about competing and being in this, this growth mindset and learning, that it gives yourself an opportunity to come in the next day and continue to get better and not have to have these missteps. You said something earlier that was really interesting, and I just want to pull on that a little bit more, which is everybody's got something that is in their way, whether it's something from their environment or their past or, or something. As you think back to your career, what was the thing that was holding you back from being uh, your, your best basketball self? Yeah, you know, I, I really felt like one of the things I think that when you talk about this environment, um, when you have people around you 
who have the same focus, it allows you to grow so much more and so much more consistently. Um, I felt like, um, and I'm talking about environment first and I'll talk about myself. I felt like, and I feel like this may be, be, be like most people or a lot of people, I didn't always have enough people around me going in the right direction. Like it's great if I'm the guy in practice saying let's go after it every single day. But if you don't have someone else kind of doing that and someone else and following suit, you know, following forth with that, you know, it, 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 it could be frustrating. And so, you know, realizing, man, iron really sharpens iron, one of the old, one of the oldest sayings, but that's one of the things that's huge for us is let's create this environment where we're sharpening each other every single day. And when we're doing that, we kind of go out here and let it, let it, let it happen. I think for myself, I practiced so hard. I didn't, I couldn't let go of plays. I didn't have a great control of my emotions. And maybe that's why I focus so much more on it now. You know, I was a guy who would make a thousand shots in the morning, a thousand shots at night, every single day through the summertime. That was like my thing. I love doing that. And then if I miss three shots at the beginning of the game or I miss a shot in warm-ups, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a bad game today. And I was just so overly critical of myself when really you're taking all those shots to be able to bounce back from those three or four misses and to be able to return and have a great game. And, you know, I, I remember like, I would just be so hard on myself when I missed a shot. Instead of being having a level of self-forgiveness and the self-awareness, you're not you're not going to play a perfect game today. But being able to go out and recover from that that really helped me back. You know, I had I had everything. I had great athleticism, I had good vision, I had good passing ability, I had a good IQ, but I didn't have great control of my emotions, and that's why my career was was high and low. And and uh, if I could go back and learn. You know, I, I would be better for it, but I don't have that opportunity. The opportunity I have here is to help our guys understand, man, that held me back. I don't want to see that for you. It's it's what I see more often than anything else is that at the D1 level, at the pro level, most guys prepare. And, you know, they don't always take it to the level of a 1,000 in the morning, a 1,000 at night, or the perfectionism that maybe you had to do it a certain way. Um but most guys, they, they get reps in. Uh, you can't really hide at that level and not do preparation. Where I find a lot of them struggle is that they have some perfectionism, that self-criticism, and that helps them learn, that helps them grow, that helps them improve, that some humility. It allows them to be coachable, and then they can't shift out of that, and I call it preparation mind and performance mind. And in performance, it's like, hey, let's be adaptable. Let's be confident. I like the word arrogant. A lot of people don't like the word arrogant because I think arrogance is not necessarily a bad word it just means that i believe i'm important i'm valuable i bring something to the table but let's use confident because it's some people like that word better but that ability to shift out of the perfectionism that helps you get better improve and grow into more of an adaptive mind um, and i see it so often and that's why like i would tell everyone that i can tell because if they can realize like okay what i need to get better is not necessarily what i need to perform those can be two separate things and if i leverage my humble preparation then i'm going to be actually more in a position to perform with confidence if i leverage my perfectionism it's like now yeah of course i'm going to adapt i missed my first 10 shots well i put in all the work let's adjust let's keep going so i love that that notion of shifting um but i want to go into you as a coach so uh, where you are today, um, how is it different from where you are when you started and what have you learned and how have you grown and how have you developed as a coach? Um, man, you, you get, it's the most humbling game, you know, when you're having a chance to coach some of the best in, in the country and, uh, and coach against some of the very best. Um, you know, a couple of things I've learned, uh, and, and you are kind of, kind of hitting on it, but just the emotional importance. Uh, we, I didn't value that the way I should have at the beginning of my career. You know, that's how the meditation with our group began. I remember we had a really talented group at the mound, I think after my third or fourth year and man, these we were talented and we, we you know, as a team that I felt like we didn't get the most out of this group. And the reason we didn't get the most out of them is because it, we didn't have the ability to reset after bad plays. And I just thought back, I said, you know, my dad taught me this so long ago, like, why am I not applying this? And that's when we brought in Greg Graber to kind of start working with our guys and, and to teach them those things. Um, so, you know, I've learned that part of it. Um, you know, I've learned um, the ability to teach better and more efficiently. I think when, you know, when you're, when you're younger, and I'm a young guy now, but I was, I was 29 when I took over, um, you know, I want, I didn't want the guys to get bored. So I was constantly giving them different drills, different, this every single day, trying to give them something different, which is like the opposite of learning. <laughs> so, um, you know, as I learned more about like teaching and, and, and how to teach and how to help people learn and how to facilitate learning, we've simplified our messages a ton, but with a little, with a level of variation. 
Um, you know, we've simplified our messaging to them to allow our players to learn it better and to be able to build upon it. And so to get to the point where eventually they'll be able to teach their teammates how to do some of these some of these things. So I've learned those things. Um, I would say probably the most important thing that I've learned is that, you know, our organization isn't going to be at its best if I'm not at my best. And, you know, and so trying to know what I need to do to be at my best, like I need time and meditation every day, you know, in the morning, that's an important time for me. Um, you know, some people are 6 a.m., 5 a.m. workers. That's not me. You know, I need about an hour in the morning, whether I'm reading or getting prepared for the day, just from time for myself and have an awareness of that. I have to create an environment for myself where I'm constantly stimulating myself and growth um, and not filling my mind with, 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 I don't want to say garbage or trash, but, you know, filling my mind with the stuff that's, that's going to allow me to be at my very best, whether that's podcasts or books or reading and, you know, and surrounding myself with people that way, you know, that don't bring... Uh, negative energy towards me, trying to really be in charge of my environment there. Um, you know, so I've learned those, I've learned a lot of those things. I've learned a lot of those things about myself. You know, I've also learned how important my son is for me every single day, just having a chance to talk with him and, you know, listen to him talk about his dreams and the things that he wants to do and be able to spend that kind of time, spend time with my wife every day. You know, at the end of the day, you know, in the morning, everyone's kind of running around, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, taking an hour or two hours just to spend time with her and to laugh and joke and really enjoy that part of life. So those are some of the things that that's the biggest thing I've learned is kind of trying to create this environment for myself, because I do think that if you're a leader and you truly love the people you're working with, you can you can overextend yourself so much about them that you don't take the time to get yourself right. And your organization will be at its very best unless you're unless you're taking some time to make sure yourself's right and you're in the right mindset, able to communicate the things that need to be communicated, but also time to be able to take time to yourself and enjoy what you're doing. What gets in the way of you being at your best? You know, sometimes just the schedule. Um, you know, like I have struggled really bit, really badly with changes in the schedule um, because I like to plan my week on Sunday and have like a really, really, really great understanding of the week. And so, you know, when when that's not 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 organized, I can struggle. Um, you know, uh, my I have an I have a ex-wife. I have a young son. So when 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 we're her and I are on the same page. You know, that slows me down from being at my very best. You know, I can block it out for a while, but, like, my relationship with her is important. Um, it's important for my son. It's important for, for my growth, for my, my understanding. And so I want to be able to pick up the phone and talk with her and things be great. And so when that's not always great, you know, which I think a lot of divorced couples out there understand that, that, that can be tough and take energy away. Um, you know, my personality type struggles with inner office um, politics because I think – if everyone has a great respect for what they're doing within the office and everyone understands that, life should be easy. You should be able to compromise and figure out, figure out answers and solutions. So politics affect me a great deal because I don't, I don't think they should exist in a great organization. You know, we should all understand what we're here to do and have a great respect for that. So those are just a couple of things that kind of hold me back that I've taken on kind of awareness-wise. You mentioned earlier practice. You were there. You were, as a player, you, you know, you you're great in practice and then in game there were things that would get in the way of you fulfilling your potential as a coach is that similar for you are you as you think about your ability to be in practice compared to being a game are there similarities there or differences i would just be curious to get into your mindset as a coach as it relates to how you're approaching practice how you're approaching games uh give people some insight into how you think about that yeah um you know, it's it's great. Like practice, I never have a problem getting up for practice. Like I'm ready to go for practice. You know, I stay up at night trying to organize it, get it to the right way, get it as perfect as you can get it. Trying to help the guys grow, watching the film, doing what all these uh, all great coaches across the country are doing. You know, just working at their craft, trying to learn. You know, I had to really learn like for the course of the game, like how to. You know, I had to learn this, and I'm not saying I got it figured out, but. You know, I almost had to like trick myself for the games, you know, to be to be in a great mindset for it. And, um, you know, I think that's one thing that coaches, you know, you get there and you get to the game and, you know, until you get a certain number of games on your belt, like, let's be honest, you don't know how to feel. You know, my first game was against Jamie Dixon at Pitt. OK, so in the Bron in the zoo there was was going crazy. So, you know, you're you're looking down the sideline and you've got a great head coach there. That's obviously been the NCAA tournament a bunch of times. You know, you're trying to figure out when to call timeouts, when to control your emotions, when to get on the referees, when to sub. You know, you're trying to figure all these kind of things out. And, um, you know, so I would say, like, that's a that's a big thing is, uh, you know, just trying to figure all that stuff out. So, you know, I think as you go along with it and you try to figure it all out, you know, just having a level of self-awareness with it, um, it just becomes huge. 
and your assistant coaches, are you looking for assistant coaches that are similar to you, different than you? Um, Because I hear this in the business world when they're hiring, some organizations will say, yeah, we want people that have the same values as us. And then there's other organizations that will say, you know, give us someone different because it's actually going to be useful because they're going to give us a different perspective. And so I think there's an argument to me made for both. I'm just curious to hear how you think about filling out a staff and having people around you. Like you were saying earlier, you said, yeah, I want people with energy and uh, look at the world in a certain way. But I'm just curious as far as compliments versus uh, diversity in that, in that way. Yeah. I, I want people around me that love people that are inspired by being around people that are inspired by helping these young guys become the best they can be that really get true enjoyment of that. Um, you know, I, I want people that, that can really under, that really love that and have a passion for that. Um, I, I think the areas where they can compliment and the energies are non-negotiable. You know, it doesn't mean they have to be bouncing off the walls, but you know, it's just, I, I love people that just have a positive mindset. That doesn't mean you can't be realistic, you know, but being positive and having that kind of emotional IQ to know when to step in and say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think this is right. But also having enough understanding to be like, hey, you know, coach, we're fine. We're in a good place. The guys are in a great place. That's important for me. I, I want the guys to look, you know, you think about this. I mean, some parent's going to drop their son off with us at 17 or 18 years old. The parent's going to then leave, and we're responsible for their for their child. Now, that child's going to become a man, um, and, and we're responsible for that at that point. I want people that those parents feel so confident in are going to do everything. It doesn't mean everything's going to go right, but they're confident. They're they, These people are going to do everything they can to love and care for my child, which is their most prized possession in life. I'm really passionate about that, you know, um, even before I was a father and now as a father, maybe even more, because I want them to know, man, no matter what happens, we're going to do everything we can to be there for them and to guide them and have tough conversations and, you know, to say the things to to their children that need to be said in the moments when it needs to be said, that's a huge responsibility. I think you have a better opportunity to do that with people that love and care and that have a great emotional emotional intelligence with that. I think you can compliment in the way maybe they see the game, when maybe the way they see recruiting, maybe their philosophy on different things. I think that's an area where we can compliment in a lot of areas. And, you know, like I'm constantly hiring guys, you know, from different trees because I want to know, you know, maybe how they're doing you know, post post offense at Penn State. I want to know how they did stuff at Maryland. Like I'm constantly hiring these folks from different trees to give us complimentary stuff in other areas. But the love and the and the love for our players and the energy, you know, that's that's a non negotiable. Yeah, I was just gonna say non negotiables. So you've got your your baseline non negotiables that you look for and then from a strategic standpoint or a technical or a tactical, it's helpful to have diversity there. And then I was curious on the other side of it when it comes to recruiting. Uh, what are you looking for in players? And I know <laughs> you are one of the more thorough um, recruiters when it comes to the psychological aspect. So I uh, would love for you to share as far as how you think about psychology when you're recruiting. I will tell you I've been around sports at all three of the levels, high school, college, and pro, and I've been around recruitment, draft, whatever you want to call it. And I think the, I'm going to use that word thorough again, the thoroughness that you use in the way you think about who is going to make up your roster. When I say who, I really mean who um, is next level. So I'd love for you to go into that a little bit with us. Well, I think in recruiting and even in hiring, I guess, you know, you can look at it. It's all about the person's ability to reach their full capacity. And so we're constantly asking the question, does this person have the ability to reach their full capacity? That's the only thing we're looking for. Um, a lot of people come in, they talk about like potential, and I don't even know what potential is. Like, uh, it, it's something that's like, it, it, it's it's like the word expectation. Like, you, you, no one knows what it is. It's like a dream. And so, you know, I, I just want to know, like, can you, can you have the ability to reach your full capacity? If you have the ability to do that, it's going to be great. And it's hard to find that. It's hard to figure all that out. Um, you know, so one of the things like, you know, we're going to do, we do a, we do a uh, uh, performance testing you know, where they come in performance uh, psychological testing they come in or we send them an app and they kind of fill it out and that gives us a little bit of their personality how they like to perform how they like to be coached and, and that gives us a step up when they come to campus we're going to know 
how they want us to phrase things, how they want us to coach them. And so that's huge for us. So we really want to look at that because we want to max, we want to max that with the right, right guys on the team. You know, if you have too many guys or maybe a high personality uh, type, it might be difficult to put them on a team with, with, if we have four of those guys, we can't add five and six and, you know, that just makes it too much. So trying to find a way to balance that out and really looking at that. Um, we you know we have a really clear picture about what we're looking for at each position each position is clearly defined what we're looking for the size the reach um the, you know even the athleticism the shooting ability and the skill like we have it clearly defined um so when you know when you might bring a guy to the table and you'd be like hey this guy's really good and he's a you know he's a five nine point guard and you know he's got short arms well you know it might not fit our system and what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go and so i try to really hold our staff accountable to those things that we're looking at on the physical a little bit easier. But the mental part's hard because the mental part's all about the conversations you're having and being willing to have tough conversations with everyone around them and to listen to the stories about their environment growing up, the things that they believe in, the things that are important to them, and trying to see do they fit into the ideals of what are important to us. Um, you know, we get to a lot of guys at the last at the last second and drop guys because you know, guys between 15 and 18, when we're really recruiting them, they change a good bit. And at the beginning, at 15 and 16, they could be in an unbelievable place where they're humble and, and ready to learn. And then they, they have a little bit of buzz at 17 to 18, and now they're not as willing to listen and to learn. Well, everyone that comes to us and anyone that goes anywhere in college, you're not good enough right now to help us win a championship. It's about the person that's going to get better. And so I want to bring in someone who's talented, no question. That should be, you know, that's a, that's a non-negotiable as well. But I want to bring in someone who has the ability and wants to be at their very best. You know, that common bond between coaching staff and player is really special and unique. And there's nothing better than taking a guy who you know has a psychological makeup and the mental makeup, the emotional makeup, putting him in an environment where that can really thrive and then letting them go and attack it. Because I just really feel like when you put a group of people in a room that no one cares about who gets the credit and everyone's, uh, yeah, everyone's working to, to improve, how good can you be? And, and that's what we're trying to strive for. I once talked to a general manager of an NBA team, and he was telling me, we really need to know not just our system, but why we're running our system. And he was talking about Simon Sinek, uh, who wrote a book, Start With Why, and Leaders Eat Last. And uh, I think his Start With Why, he's got this graphic where it starts with why, then it goes to how, then it goes to what. And it's a great graphic. And so he had just seen that graphic and said, Brian, we need to really hone in on our why so that guys know not just what our system is, but why we are running our system. And I turned to him and I said, okay, you guys get LeBron James tomorrow. How important is your system? He turns to me and he goes, Brian, you think the Bulls ran the triangle for Michael Jordan? They didn't run the triangle for Michael Jordan. They ran it for all the other guys. Jordan can get his 30 <laughs> in his sleep. Uh, but how can he make the other guys better? That's the point of the system. And I think we've gotten to this place where it's like, oh, they're system guys and they're not system guys. And I think it really misses the point of the importance and the value of having a system, the system allows you to shop for groceries and know what groceries you're going to the store to go get. It, it just allows you to narrow in and zoom in on the guys. And oh, by the way, you watch the NBA now, and if you can't shoot in the NBA, you're probably not going to work with a lot of the systems. And so guys, you know, you hear fans talk about all the time, I don't know how this guy didn't go in the NBA. He was so good in college. He's so good in this. Well, the NBA is a different game and it requires different systems to be successful. Anyway, so that story about systems and when you said the word system uh, and then you were talking about what you're looking for, I find often that the best organizations, and this also exists in the corporate world, they know the groceries that they're looking for. And by the way, you might miss on a really talented person, but that person probably wouldn't have maxed out or whatever it might have been with your organization. So they probably should go somewhere else. And so this notion that systems and shopping for groceries and making sure that the groceries fit, it's amazing to me how many organizations don't actually focus on that and they just look for the top talent. And the NBA, I mean, I've been in involved in the NBA in some capacity for a while now. And the way that it has evolved is unbelievable. The coaches are smarter than ever. The general managers, you mentioned Sam Presti earlier. I mean, what he's doing right now is look looks like genius. Um, but anyway, you've got front office people that are really, really bright, head coaches that are really bright. And, and oh, by the way, players who are... Uh, 
I, I've been to the combine, you know, over the years, and the players that are coming in now are also brilliant because uh, they're learning systems. They're learning how to play the game. So I just went on a rant, but I think it speaks to, uh, especially in the basketball world, if you're not thinking about it that way, um, you still may get lucky and get talented kids, and they might be overwhelmed teams with talent. But if you want sustained success, you really have to cultivate those cultures and those systems. Yeah, I think when when I look at it, I mean, you you got two teams that they're on the floor together, and the ball jumps up. You know, one team's really talented. If everyone's trying to play this talent game, then the most talented are always going to win, and there's no way for anyone else to win if you're always going to play this talent game. But for for most of us to win, we have to change the narrative. We have to change the curve. We have to move. We have to move the dividend some. And the way you move the dividend is by 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 finding players and people that are overvalued in your system, but are undervalued in others. Um, and so that's a huge part of you know when you look at really good you know general managers in the NBA and being able to build those systems. You look at guys, man, this guy was great. This guy was great in Phoenix, and he's not great anywhere else. Well, that's a great job of acknowledging a talent that fits yours, again, that's overvalued in your system but undervalued in others. And that's what we're constantly trying to find. And, you know, now if you can mix those in with one really, really talented piece that combine to the other things, you're going to have an unbelievable team. But if you don't have that talented piece, you can still put together a great team of performance because everyone's bought into the same thing and they fit together. And I think sometimes people underestimate the importance of fit and connectivity. I always feel like connectivity is the least talked about thing in sport, and it's probably the most important thing. You know, when you play with your brothers in the backyard or, you know, you may make these passes and plays because you just know where people are. And, you know, that, that energy transfer between people that are connected allows you to be much better than, than if you're just talented. And I think... You know, when you can create a culture and a system where connection is more powerful, you can withstand some of the tough years where you don't have as much talent and still put together a great team on the floor. I want to dive into connection in a minute, but there's also a thought running through my mind, and this is why I love chatting with you. It sparks it sparks thoughts in my brain that I think are hopefully useful. Stock market works the same way. It's trying to find value, and you value something more than somebody else, and you know, Facebook buying Instagram, right? Like everyone says they're crazy to buy Instagram for a billion dollars. Now Instagram's worth whatever. It's it's realizing like we've got this, we're gonna take it and we're gonna run with it and we think we can make this even stronger and even better. I think it's part of the human experience. And oh by the way, that's what makes sports special. It's like if sports was just played on paper, then it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be interesting. What makes sports special is the strategic development of a organization and then how does that organization show up for 40 minutes or 48 minutes or 32 minutes or whatever it is that you're playing but the connectedness piece you can so clearly see I think as a fan like I watch the NBA playoffs and I'm like oh that team is really connected that team not so much Uh, and you could see teams in the last NBA playoffs that had more talent but less connection and you could see how that would play out how do you cultivate connectedness uh, amongst your your team? Well, we, we, we have a leadership enhancement plan. So we have a system for our leadership and how we're going to grow our leadership um, within our within our organization. Um, and so I think I think having a system for your leadership, I think, is very important. So people that are, are listening that don't like really spend time and come up with a way to help teach people how to lead each other and how to be there. And connectivity is one of the first things that we talk about. Um, you know, one of the things like, you know, it's one of these things like when you greet each other, like, you know, when you go to a family reunion and you see your cousin you haven't seen for the longest time, what's so special about that connection? That first embrace is like, you know, it's so special on a team. Why shouldn't we act like that every single day? You know, we only have four years to see each other, right? Every single day. So we, we talk about that and then we go out and perform it and we say, Hey, like, greet each other this way and try to create that kind of energy burst. Um, we talk, you know, when we're playing within our system, we use supportive language defensively. So we don't just say like ball or help or which are great. Um, we say, I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. Right. So we're always trying to find ways to be supportive. You know, when we bluff at each other, we want to touch hands and just trying to find a way to build in connectivity with everything that we're doing. Um, you can connect with your voice, you can connect with, with actual touch and you can connect with your body language. And so we spend time talking about body language and, and then when I, when I, when I say spend time talking about it, I then go and hold you accountable for it. 
for your body language. And I think that's really important because if I hold you accountable for it, the guy beside you understands the importance of it. And so we're holding you accountable to your connectivity. And you know, we're watching film. Um, one of the first things that we show when you guys aren't connected and we talk a ton about just our inability to be connected and what happens on possessions versus possessions where we are connected. And one of the first things that we actually show them are these different articles and videos, you know, the, the, the championship teams always connect more. Now, maybe that's because they got more assists and more baskets, but maybe it's a, maybe the connectivity become comes before the basket and there's just this energy that that's transfluent when you're connected. Yeah, the research is is there, uh, especially in basketball. They've researched the best teams and that they touch, that they high five and chicken or egg situation. To your point, who knows? But it doesn't matter. It's like if, if there's correlation there, let's do it. Uh, and then I, I had this thought of, you know, when I was in a fraternity, we had a grip, right? Like you'd see your fraternity brother, you would do the grip. Uh, and anywhere in the country, you would give the grip and you knew that they were connected to you. You go to a neighborhood, like just the wave, right? The neighborhood wave that I still do. Some people don't. I, I force it though. Like I, I'm like, hey, we're, we're like living in the 1960s still. Hi, how you doing? Like I think it's important. You're part of my neighborhood. Like we have a connectedness. If you go to a country club, you'll see like a head nod, like a little, just like, hey, how you doing? You know, just a little head nod. Um, and those things just let you know that you're, you belong here. You're part of a membership. You're part of a tribe. And we are tribal. We're meant to be tribal. We were designed in tribes. That's how we survived. And so the connectedness, I think, brings out the, the tribal inner sense of belonging, which every human wants. They want to feel like they belong. I love how you guys use intentional words. Uh, I once had a client, pro athlete, and after every meeting, I would say, I've got your back. And he would look at me, and he was just like, thanks. I'm like, yeah, of course, I got your back, man. And he's like, people don't really say that to me. Uh, and, you know, he didn't really feel like a lot of the people had his back. And to this day, we still, we still chat. And, you know, I'll always say, hey, man, I got your back. And uh, I love that you guys leverage that in action because it's one thing to, to say it it's one thing to think it but to actually act it like actually put it into movement man that's special that's yeah, awesome it, it's um it's been great for us um and, you know again everything we're trying to do is just uh, everything's on this pathway to to be connected and so why not use language like language is a way of connection right so why have different language on the floor that you're going to have off the floor and i feel like there's this thing that goes on with i'm constantly telling you i have your back if something happens um, you know, then I'm going to have your back. I'm always talking to the guys about the scenario that I hope never happens. But if it's 30 years down the road and you need to, and something happens and you need someone to call, I want you to know that one of these guys in this locker room, they have your back, right? And that you can pick that phone up and call them. And that might be the most important phone call that that person makes to another. And to know that when they see that name on there, they say, oh man, this is my, this is my brother. This is my family member. And they want to pick it up. And so we're always, you know, we're always talking about being at our very best and our best is required. And that's on the floor and that's everywhere in life. But in that scenario, that, that being at your very best, there's nothing more valuable than that, than that phone call 20, 30 years down the road from a teammate to another teammate. And, and that's what we're trying to prepare ourselves for. You talked about love. And by the way, I mentioned the triangle offense earlier. Phil Jackson, I saw him interviewed once, and they said, what, what makes a championship team a championship team? And he said, love. He said, love. Like, love and, and then knowing that I got your back, you got mine, because we love each other. So you've got love. You've got connectedness. You've got competitiveness, is what you said earlier, is we got to, like, I don't believe in focusing on winning. I, fo I believe in focusing on competing. What else is part of the fabric as far as what you want to build? Yeah, I mean, I think accountability uh, is huge. You know, again, love is accountability. Accountability is love. You know, those are things. Um, learning, I think learning is extremely important. Learning and growing, I think that's a, extremely Im important. And we want to always constantly be talking about learning. I mean, you know, even to, today in practice, like the guy had a repetition. The first time he got it wrong, I didn't criticize him for getting it wrong because, I, I, you know, I, you have to fail to learn. The first time you got on a bike and you fell off, you know, I didn't, your, your parents didn't criticize you for falling off. They expect you to fall off. They expected themselves to pick you up and to teach you what you did wrong. So they messed the rep up and, and today. And the second time around, he went down to the bench. He got coaching, came back in, got it exactly right. And, you know, let's acknowledge that in practice. Let's acknowledge that on film. That's a learning, that's a learning thing. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about learning. What and, do you do to celebrate learning? Because it sounds like it's like that's what we want. 
What do you guys do? You said acknowledge it. What do you do to celebrate it? Yeah, you, you can do it a couple different ways. You know, I can, you know, I don't say a lot. Of, I'm not a guy that's running around at practice. I can stop and say that's exactly, exactly what we want right there. And, you know, and, and, and really nail it right there. I can acknowledge it at the end of practice with a round of applause from our team so they can understand what's going on. And then we always come back and show it again on film. So when we have our next film session, we'll show it again in a celebration way. And, and this is exactly what we want to be about. And those are the words I use. This is exactly what we want to be about. Out. We want to be about learning the second time around. If you're able to do that, you're going to be pretty daggone good because you're not going to get it right typically the first time. But if you have that right, that kind of mindset and you understand it's okay, hey, I got it wrong. You know, like for myself, I missed a shot. I was so self-critical. If I would have said to myself, it's okay, next play, and I might have been pretty good the next play, but I, I let it linger with me and two or three plays later, it was still there. If we can have these guys make a mistake, reset themselves quickly because they know it's, huh, I'm just learning right now. How good can we be? This is going to be a tricky question. I've never asked it before. So if it doesn't come out clean, you'll have to just allow me to fail. Uh, You use mindfulness and meditation. You use psychological assessments. You use language within the team. What do you think over the next 10 years will be? um, We haven't talked about analytics, but I'm sure you use data and analytics what do you think will is down the pipeline 10 years from now that will be the next wave of being progressive like as you look forward what are the things that excite you that might change how you lead a, a team well i think assessment wise i think the, the chicago cubs are doing some of this it, it, we have a video game culture so it's going to be video gaming to give you all these kind of answers that we're talking about that's going to be the fastest way to kind of simplify it or you know psychologists working on this gaming system where guys can perform it and then it's going to give you all this kind of data out so you can kind of learn you know hand-eye quickness mind quickness all these kind of things so i think an assessment way that's coming along i think um, some of the things, what I like to think, some of the things that we're doing right now will become kind of the norm because I think what happens is you know, teams bring in, and a lot of our conversations, you know, you can understand how passionate I am about it. A team will bring in a speaker that will talk about mindset, and then the rest of the year, there's no follow up on mindset. And, you know, so people are still doing that. You know, they're bringing in one guy and they're doing it one time, we're giving a handout and kind of saying, hey, we checked the box in this area. But I think people are going to really look more into the mental side of a sport for sport performance and they're not just from the mental health side of it but from the from the mental um, performance side of it to be at your very best and I think right now when you're looking at coaching and programs there's still a hesitancy behind it you know they're nervous about it you know they're nervous like what if I let this person get into my head I'm like what if you don't (laughs) you know if you don't let this person get in you know what's going to happen and so I think that's going to I think over the next 10 years we're going to see a big jump in that we're going to see a real focus on that but it's still going to take the coaches some time to learn how to operate within that system because you still have so many coaches that are coming up from from a foundation that didn't understand it. And and so for, for us coaches that are now here that haven't a chance to coach, we have to learn it. We have to learn it so we can understand it so we can help. I think the next 10 years is going to present that kind of opportunity for that kind of growth for coaches. Very cool. Last question. If you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? Man, that's always such a good question. Um, well, I always say I'm living a dream, and, and I'm getting a chance to do something that that uh, I've always wanted to do, and in a position and a place where I've always wanted to be. Uh, if I wasn't coaching, I would probably be in journalism. Um, you know, I always want to write a book. Maybe one day I will, um, but I'd probably be in journalism. Um, I just love that process of of writing of, you know, taking that time and creating something that people can enjoy on their own and be able to see your vision. Um, I've always really enjoyed that. You know, I had a chance to be in some newspapers right out of college. That would have been exciting for me. Um, good thing I, I didn't get into print media, <laughs> but um, but I have such great respect for print print journalism because it's really an art that's so special, uh, being able to describe something to someone who didn't see it but be able to give them that mental picture. You know, how much fun is that? You know, giving someone, giving someone, giving someone life to something that is written, you know, that's pretty neat. Um, so I'd probably be in journalism some way. That's awesome. Well, uh, maybe I'll hold you accountable to getting a book finished. I have a book that's coming out next fall and first book and I've just spent so much time on it. And it's hard. It is hard. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it is scary. It's like, to your point, it's like, once that word is written, it's not going anywhere. And I agree with you. There's such a beauty in, in print because you have to be so thoughtful and you can't get it back. And it's, uh, it's a great challenge. I've enjoyed going through it and, uh, I'll be, I'll be excited when that process comes to an end. Uh, but maybe I'll, I'll push you and challenge you a little bit to get there as well. Um, Jamie, and it's been great getting to know you. Uh, welcome to DC. Uh, excited to have you here. Excited to see what your team will do with their process this year. And uh, where can people learn about what you're up to and what the team's up to, social media, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, Jamie and Christian, you know, just search that and either my name will come up there and um, you know, a lot of the stuff you'll see on my social media, you'll see some things about our team probably once or twice a week, but you'll see a lot of different motivational stuff that we'll send out. Um, just big on trying to impact the world that we're in, trying to share the love that we have, the things that I've learned. I want other people to learn, um, you know, just want to be a helpful person to the world and try to, you know, while we're op- while I'm operating this space, just trying to do whatever I can to help everyone be at their very best and have an enjoyable life. So that's some of the stuff you'll see on our social, social media. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And if you want to listen to any of these podcasts, you can find it at intentionalperformers.com. Coach, great to chat with you today. Looking forward to many more conversations in the future. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Well, we, we, we have a leadership enhancement plan. So we have a system for our leadership and how we're going to grow our leadership um, within our within our organization. Um, and so I think I think having a system for your leadership, I think, is very important. So people that are, are listening that don't like really spend time and come up with a way to help teach people how to lead each other and how to be there. And connectivity is one of the first things that we talk about. Um, you know, one of the things like, you know, it's one of these things like when you greet each other, like, you know, when you go to a family reunion, and you see your cousin you haven't seen for the longest time. What's so special about that connection? That first embrace is like, you know, it's so special. On a team, why shouldn't we act like that every single day? You know, we only have four years to see each other, right? Every single day. So we we talk about that and then we go out and perform it. And we say, hey, like, greet each other this way and try to create that kind of energy burst. Um, we talk, you know, when we're playing within our system, we use supportive language defensively so we don't just say like ball or help or which are great um we say i got your back i got your back i got your back right so we're always trying to find ways to be supportive you know when we bluff at each other we want to touch hands just trying to find a way to build in connectivity with everything that we're doing um you can connect with your voice you can connect with with actual touch and you can connect with your body language 